seated. If you want to follow in the scripture today, we are in the book of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. So, John 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save the perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews formed outside, out, found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to see to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Um, the passage that, that we have here today uh, lines up pretty well with the week that we're about to have uh, moving into the week. This is called the Passion Week or Holy Week in the Christian calendar. This is the week that we look forward to Friday, which is Good Friday, and Sunday, which is Easter Sunday. And so today is called the, uh, uh, the Triumphal Entrance of Jesus. This is the day we celebrate that Jesus went into Jerusalem looking for that day that he would die on the cross. Well, this is the night before that triumphal entry that he makes, and Jesus right now is in hiding. And he's in hiding because he knows it's not yet his time to die for the sins of the world, and he's hiding from those that want to kill him. This is mainly the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These are the people that are upset because the words that Jesus is teaching to the people don't line up with what they want them to know. And so they see him as a threat to their power. They see him as a threat to what they're trying to control in people's lives. And so they make plans that they're going to put Jesus to the death and just get this over with. So Jesus is outside of the city of Jerusalem, and he's with this family, the family of Lazarus. Now, if you know anything about this family, you know that this is a family that has been very close to Jesus' heart throughout his whole ministry. Uh, Mary is the one that uh, Jesus allowed for her to sit with the disciples as he was teaching them. That's a whole other sermon for another day uh, because there's never been a rabbi in that time that would allow a woman to learn with him except Jesus. 
So Mary is close to Jesus' heart because she wanted to learn like the men were learning, and Jesus allowed that. He brought her in and let them learn. Lazarus is close to Jesus' heart. If you look back at chapter 11 of the book of John, when, when Lazarus died, Jesus began to weep. He was upset. He was hurt in his spirit that Lazarus would die. He was a close friend of his. And of course, as we learn in that passage, Jesus ends up raising Lazarus from the dead. And then you have Martha. Martha is close to Jesus' heart in that she's constantly serving him. In fact, uh, again, a sermon for another time, but there is a moment where Mary is learning with Jesus and Martha's concerned about serving. And Jesus has to gently rebuke Martha and say, you need to learn from me as well. You don't always need to serve. Again, sermon for another day. The point is, here's this family, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, that are very close to Jesus' heart. And so they decide that they're going to take Jesus in as he's preparing to head into Jerusalem. And you can almost imagine the kind of... uh, uh, how tense the room is, let's put it that way, because everybody there knows or should know by now that Jesus is headed to die. They know that he's at that house because he's hiding from the chief priests and teachers of the law. Uh, He is at that house outside of the city of Jerusalem because if he makes an appearance too soon in Jerusalem, he may be kidnapped and put to death. So as Jesus is sitting there, he's hiding, but he's also preparing for entering into the city. And it says that Mary, Lazarus, and Martha put together a feast in his honor. Another way of putting it is they were bringing him close into their household that he would feel a part of their household. Um, I, I don't know how you are, but my favorite thing to do when people visit my house is cook them a meal. And my wife can attest to this. There is no greater meal that I think you can cook a person than biscuits and gravy, <laughs> waffles, bacon, all the eggs you can eat. You can start shouting out. If it's a breakfast food that's not grits, uh, that is the best breakfast food to make. I think breakfast is the most fun meal to make anybody because you have a night of not eating. You were probably dreaming of eating, and you wake up, and, and what do you smell as you walk into my kitchen? You smell bacon. E- even if bacon goes up to the cost of $7 a pound, I will never make you turkey bacon for breakfast. <laughs> you will smell real bacon. Amen, that's right. So this is the heart that, that this family has for Jesus. They, they're, they're not just making him a meal. They're inviting him into their presence, into their home for safety, for love, for teaching. This might be the last teaching that Jesus gives. So they're accepting all of that. And it says that Lazarus is reclining at the table with him, which means uh, he's treating Jesus as an equal in his household. He, this is about him. And it says that Martha is in the kitchen serving, and she's putting together the meal that not just Jesus would eat, but his disciples as well. Anybody that's been invited in Jesus' name is going to be served. And where's Mary in all of this? Well, Mary does something rather extraordinary. She comes out with this little bottle of perfume. 
In, in this translation, which is the NIV, it says a pint. Some of your translations may say one pound. They, they would say it's about this big, about 12 ounces of, of today's weight. And she's got this jar of perfume, and she's going to give it to Jesus. And it, it's called pure nard. It's, it's a very expensive perfume. They think it maybe came from India or somewhere east of Israel. But it's expensive, and oftentimes it was so expensive you would only sell it in little one-ounce jars so that once you broke it, it was done. It's going to disperse, and so you, you would cover yourself in it, or maybe you'll save it for a special occasion. And what Mary does is she brings it out to Jesus, and she begins to pour it on his feet. Not just a little jar. Oh, and by the way, it would go on your head. It would go on the top of the head so that the fragrance would fall down your body. And then as you walk through to wherever you're going to go, people would smell you and just, oh, wow, that person must be rich. That person, I, I can smell nard here. But what she does with Jesus is a little different. She goes to his feet. And we're not quite sure exactly why she goes to his feet, except that the feet is the lowliest part of the person. You wouldn't dare go to somebody's feet unless you were a servant or unless you were groveling and apologizing to them. But she takes the most expensive perfume you can get, not just one ounce, but 12 ounces, a whole jar of it, breaks it open and pours it on the feet, which is the place that nobody wants to go to. And as she pours it on his feet, she unwraps her hair and uses her hair to wash his feet with the perfume. Now, what would usually happen? Well, usually Jesus would walk in the entrance, sit down, and somebody from the household would offer to come and wash his feet. And it was usually somebody who was considered the lowest in the household. Probably the youngest sibling would go and wash the person's feet, or if you had a servant. But Mary, she's one of the household members, is using her hair, which is on top of her head, to wash Jesus' feet, which is the lowest part of his body. And the scripture says, as she's washing his feet with this fragrance, the fragrance begins to fill the whole household. Another way of putting that is, they're not just explaining what, what the smell is that people have, it's that people are realizing in that moment the kind of love Mary has for Jesus. That she would take her hair, and, and, and Paul says it in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's this notion that for a woman, her hair is her glory. For a woman, her hair is important. If you don't believe me, well, no, I'm not going to, well, I was going to say, I dare you to go and rub some lady's hair here in the church and see what happens. Don't do that, please. The point being, a woman's hair is important to her, especially in first century Palestine, and she's using it to wash Jesus' feet, and everybody is standing back and watching this, and they're just incredibly amazed by it. The whole household stops what they're doing to see the love that Mary is literally pouring out onto Jesus. Well, there's one person that's attending this banquet that doesn't like what he sees, and that's Judas. And Judas gets upset, and, and what he's upset about, he claims, is this was expensive perfume. Uh, we should have sold it and given it to the poor. Now, there's a few things wrong with this statement that Judas has. For one, do you notice how he's using we language for somebody else's property? I always find that interesting when you have something and somebody else starts using we language. 
Uh, it, it's sort of like when you see kids get toys at Christmas time and they unwrap it and it's their toy, but then other kids are like, what should we do with it? And, you know, I was the kind of kid, who's we? I'm playing with this by myself and then I'll come and share it with you. So Judas sees what Mary is doing and he's immediately thinking she's wasted money. And, and maybe you've been in this situation before where you see the way somebody is using something and, and you immediately start to rack up the money. You know, I just, it, there's been times I've seen people waste things and I, and I just sit there and think, oh my goodness, how does he do that? We were, uh, we were buying a new item a while ago and we were trying to price things out and, and our kids were trying to figure out, well, how come that's expensive and that's not expensive? And so we devised a way to sort of explain how something is expensive versus inexpensive, and we, we calculated uh, the value of cheeseburgers. So we were looking at something, and we said, okay, that couch right there, we can't buy that couch because that couch is 900 cheeseburgers. And the kids would go, oh, my goodness, that's a lot of cheeseburgers. And I said, but that couch over there, we can buy that couch. That's only 20 cheeseburgers. Oh, okay, you know, and that sort of helped them. But Judas is doing this. He's beginning to calculate, oh, boy, that was a 12-ounce bottle. They usually sell those in one ounce. That's usually something you would save for the day of somebody's burial because once you open it, it's all gone. So it's 12 ounces, it's saved for burial, which means we could have sold it to a rich family, and a rich family could probably afford this, and let's see, and he's doing the calculation, and he says, that could be a year's wages for somebody. Now, I, I looked up in America what the median household income is, and, and this changes whatever city you live in, it could be higher, it could be lower, but across the United States, the average household uh, income for one individual is about $32,000. And so think of it this way. Judas is looking at this perfume and he's thinking, she just wasted $32,000 to wash somebody's feet. Notice the words that Judas is using in all of this. Why did you use that on Jesus? See, what Judas is really doing here is he doesn't care about the poor. And Jesus goes right to the point in his response. And the writer, John, he even makes that point. Judas doesn't care about the poor. He cared about pilfering the money. He thought to himself, I could have sold that. I could have pocketed some money and put a little bit in the purse for Jesus, but I could have made money off of that. For one, it's not Judas's to begin with, but then also... What's the problem here? Judas is propping up some people that he's claiming he wants to help in lieu of serving Jesus. The exact opposite of what's going on in this banquet. This banquet was held in Jesus' honor. Whatever is done in the banquet is done for Jesus Christ. And Judas is trying to distract people from what, what was given to Jesus so that he could think of a, an excuse to pilfer the money for himself. We see this problem all the time, and, and maybe we struggle with this in some areas, that we want to support a cause, but it's distracting us from Jesus, and so we try to cover it up as it's a righteous cause, it's a good cause. But then when you stop to consider, is this cause about God? 
Are you doing this for the sake of Jesus Christ, or are you doing it for personal gain? Are you doing it for yourself? And Jesus drives right to the point in his response. Jesus tells Judas, leave her alone. (laughs) Another way of putting it, it's not yours, Judas. What do you care? It's not your perfume. He says to him, leave her alone, and and he makes two points why he should leave her alone. The first point is, you'll always have the poor with you. And of course, the point that Jesus is making isn't, well, you can just serve the poor another day. I want to be clear about that. The point Jesus is making is not that you shouldn't serve the poor, you should do some other things, and then when you get to it, the poor will still be there. Because I think maybe that's been mistranslated by some people that read it. The point that Jesus is making is that in serving him, they are serving the poor. And if you look back, the first like two or three centuries of the Christian church was filled with poor people. The only people that were ever attracted to Christianity were those in poverty. Because Christianity gave those in poverty hope that God was looking out for them. It gave them purpose. And also, Christianity was a place of generosity where people would constantly give to one another without question. They would sell their property, give the money to the apostles, and the apostles would hand out as people had need. So the point Jesus is making here is, because Mary is serving me, I've been serving the poor. Mary does have other people in mind because she's focused on me. The other point that Jesus is making when he says the poor you'll have with you always is this probably comes from a text from Deuteronomy chapter 15. And if you look back in Deuteronomy 15, God is talking about how uh, give to the poor constantly because the poor you'll always have with you. And the point of that passage and what Jesus is bringing here is it's always our duty to give to the poor. It's always our duty to be generous in giving to other people, but it's also our duty to focus on Jesus Christ. And Jesus makes his next point about Mary and says, she wasn't just serving me, she was preparing me for my burial. Remember, this dinner is in honor of Jesus. This dinner is a preparation for him to enter into Jerusalem and be arrested. And so the point he's making here is, Mary has anointed me for my death. And probably the reason that he's saying this is, when somebody died as a criminal, they weren't allowed to have their body anointed. Now, after Jesus' death, we see in in, uh, the other three Gospels that Mary and Martha come to anoint Jesus' body. And we see at the end of the book of John that uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea do this. So Jesus does have his body anointed after his burial. But the point Jesus is making is Mary doesn't know that. What Mary knows is that Jesus will be arrested. Jesus will probably be tried as a criminal And no one is going to be allowed to take his body and anoint it. And so in preparation for his death, she takes that bottle that she could very well have been saving for her own death. That could have been for her, that when she died, she would tell her kids, anoint my body with this pure nard. But she says, no, I don't deserve this. Jesus deserves it because no one's going to be there for him. And so Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone. She's doing this to prepare my body for the death, the sacrifice I'm about to make for you. 
And as we move on in the dinner, we find out that, you know, even though Jesus is in hiding, it's really not that successful because people begin to find out where he's at. Uh, They begin to find out that he's at Lazarus' house. And what it says is that they came to see Jesus, but they were coming to see Lazarus as well because they weren't quite sure if Lazarus was really raised from the dead. And so the scripture tells us that they begin to show up and they want to see Jesus, but first they need to see Lazarus. Is it true? Did Jesus raise you from the dead? Lazarus, you got to answer our question. Were you really dead? Or did you just fall asleep? Martha, is it true? Is it true? Did he actually die? Mary, did you see him dead? Wow. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And of course, that upset the teachers of the law because people were turning from the teachers of the law. And because they saw Lazarus raised from the dead, they began to believe in Jesus Christ. And so that made them all the more upset and all the more eager to kill Jesus. And so Lazarus is living as a sign to other people. The work that Lazarus has done is really no work at all. The only work that Lazarus put into being a sign is he died. you know. And then Jesus came along and raised him from the dead. So Lazarus, he's close to Jesus' heart, but he's really not doing anything in this scenario except allowing people to see that Jesus has healed him. Allowing people to see that Jesus has performed a miracle in his life. You know, that's the calling that we have as Christians. We're called into this world where we share with people what Jesus has done in our own life. And as we look over this story, there may be some people within this story that you identify with. Maybe you identify with Martha. Maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person that doesn't really like to be front and center, but I really like to serve. Maybe you can look back at a moment in your life where you identify with Mary. There's those moments that, that you have decided you're going to give everything you have to Jesus. You don't, ma- you don't worry about the cost. It doesn't matter about it. And maybe you identify with Lazarus. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where, where Jesus has saved you. Jesus has healed you. Jesus has maybe raised you from the dead. Whatever work he's done in your life, you are now assigned to other people that he can do the same in their life. And maybe, probably, with some, with some of us, maybe we identify with all three of these people. Maybe we identify with Martha in that we've been serving Jesus for most of our life. Maybe we identify with Mary in that we want to give him our all even now. Or Lazarus, we want to be assigned to other people. Here's the point. Here's the point of the whole passage. Your identity as a person is directly tied to your relationship with Jesus Christ. We have, well, we're told it's a problem in America. I don't think it's that big of a problem, but I'm American. Um, And that is that whenever people ask in America, so uh, what's your name? You know, and then you say your name. And what's the second question that's always asked without a doubt? I heard it. What do you do? And, and what, what, are you asking about a hobby? No. Are you asking about their family? Nope. You might ask, where are you from? But that's probably to then guess what you do for a living. Oh, you're from Detroit? Did you work on a GM factory line somewhere? No. The question is always, what's your name? What do you do for a living? It's because in America, 
we tend to directly tie our identity to the work that we do. Well, as Christians, with the kingdom of God, it's different. Our identity is directly tied to Jesus Christ so that it should be how we live our life. We ask the question, what's your name? Are you saved? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Let me tell you about him. Because that's who we are as Christians. So as we leave this place and we prepare for this holy week, let's keep in mind a few things. For one, we keep in mind that we invite Jesus into our lives, that we invite Jesus into an intimate setting each and every day where we can serve him, where we give him everything that we have and we offer our life to him, that we would be a sign, that God would use us to share the gospel with other people. As we leave, we also keep in mind that our identity is in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, what he will do for us, in the identity that he'll give others when they give their life to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you would call us into uh, an intimate setting like church, an intimate setting like uh, prayer at home or studying the scripture together as a family. We thank you for these times that we can meet with you. Uh, God, as we leave this place, we pray that you would use us. Use us like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Use us in the world to share the gospel, to share our identity as your children. We pray this all in your name. Amen.